Welcome to CFRC 101.9 FM and Cellar Door Project's Shortwave Theatre Festival Talkback Series with your host, Mariah Horner, the Shortwave Festival Director. In this fun, informative series, you'll have the opportunity to follow Mariah as she gets the scoop on the behind-the-scenes process of making radio theatre with the artists that have made each Shortwave Theatre Festival play possible. Thank you for joining us today, and don't forget to visit shortwavetheater.com to learn more about our amazing plays and artists, and stay locked into 101.9 FM for the next performance, happening all week long. Hello and welcome to our series of talkbacks for Cellar Door Project and CFRC's Shortwave Theatre Festival. I am super stoked today to have with me some of the artists from Philip and Lucinda, the radio show. So joining me today, I have John, the sound designer, Anthony, the director extraordinaire, and our friends Mike and Zita. So we're recording this on Zoom. It's going to be a great conversation. Uh, We're going to start with some introductions. So maybe we'll start with Anthony. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself and your relationship to radio theater and theater in general, and and maybe kind of, uh, you know, your relationship to being an artist in Kingston. Wow, thank you very much. And, I, and I'll try and make this as fast as I can. <laughs> it's, been, it's been an interesting go for me, for sure. Um, I, uh, I have existed as a filmmaker. I'm, I'm, I'm primarily an actor um, at the, um, you know, at the end of the day, an actor and, and a storyteller. Telling stories is very important to me. I enjoy doing it as an actor, but I also enjoy... Uh, telling stories through music and through writing and through um, and, and and through working with other people um, and sometimes taking a taking a step behind the scenes. So, uh, I, I I I've been a filmmaker. I I have five feature films that are out there in wide distribution. Um, we are working on a new one that's going into production next year. Uh, but in the interim, I, I decided to to take a step back and and go back and do something that was so incredibly important to me when I was first uh, coming out of school in Montreal. In the uh, in the mid to late nineties, I used to have this this love for old time radio theater and for spoken word, spoken word performance, and and the t- again the telling of stories. And um, when I was just a, when I was just a, a, a late teen, early twenty something, I was producing live radio plays on commercial radio in Montreal on CJD Radio. And of course, I was I was writing these things, I was acting in them, and I was working with people. Uh, and then I got distracted for a very long time by other pursuits, theater and film. Um, in, in, in 2016, um, I, uh, I, I decided it was time to take a break from what I was doing. Uh, we had just delivered a, a wonderful Christmas film. Uh, and I stepped back and, and, and wanted to start exploring things that I had enjoyed in, in other facets of the media. One of which, of course, was, was spoken word and, 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 and the audio format. And I recorded a single of uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven with, uh, with a chap uh, called Maurizio Guarini, who's a member of, uh, of Goblin, a uh, very famous Italian prog rock band. And that little recording that we did got picked up. It went on vinyl, it went out digitally, and it ended up opening the door to the creation of a company called Bleak December, which is my, um, which is my, uh, my, my, well, Bleak December is my pride and joy. And what we do is we produce these wonderful full cast radio plays featuring some of the some some of the some of the genre talent that I love, like people from the world of film and TV, like uh, Tony Todd, Malcolm McDowell, uh, Sir Derek Jacobi, some of the original Doctor Who's, and other people have been involved in our plays. And and I'm doing exactly what I was doing in the mid to late '90s when I was a kid, writing, directing, acting in alongside these wonderful people 
these adaptations of, uh, of classic horror stories and mystery stories that I've always loved. But now we're doing it with some wonderful talent. We're producing them in glorious uh, 3D sound. If you listen to these with, uh, with, with, your, with the cans on, um, they, it sounds like you're right there smack dab in the center of the room. Um, and, and so that's been a joy for the past few years. We're doing that. We're producing them. They're out there on record, out there on CD. Um, I, I also do a lot of work uh, as, as a reader um, for, for short stories for, uh, in, in, in that world. But every so often, uh, I, I always had that urge to go back and do it the way we used to do it um, on radio in the 90s. And that was just to have some people at a microphone um, kind of celebrate old-time radio theater, like 1940s, 1950s, the stuff that I used to listen to when I was a kid. And when the opportunity came round uh, to, to, to work on this particular piece uh, with these, these, these very, very talented, there are a couple of clowns. I always joke about this. You know, I'm working <laughs> with a couple of clowns, but they're wonderful, talented clowns, and they really get that, that sound and that era, the 1940s, 1950s, uh, Burns and Allen, Marx Brothers, uh, Jack Denny. They really get that feel. And, and, and even though... Uh, with the incredible John Sanfilippo, we produced something here that has that uh, that exquisite sound design. Um, we, we, we've, we've made it sound like something that was produced in that era. Um, and, and, and it's been an absolute joy. So, you know, as I mentioned, we've worked with Malcolm McDowell and Sir Derek Jacobi and David Warner, all these wonderful people. But I'm just as excited about having worked with, uh, with, with, with Mike and Zita and, and Barry Ewan, and of course, John as well on this production, because everyone just brought their, their A-game, and uh, it was a pleasure to direct it. Oh, that's so lovely. That's really nice. You know, I, I've known a little bit about your work, Anthony, but hearing it kind of all in this its context, I feel I felt very lucky to have you. And um, I, it was a really great pairing. I remember when we first started pairing directors with plays, I remember this one kind of rolled into your inbox and there was a really immediate kind of relationship with the play and the piece. So that's so great. So now leading it over to our couple of clowns, Mike and Zita, the remarkable Mike and Zita. Can you tell me a little bit about yourselves, your you know, your relationship with theater making, with radio making, with Kingston. Yeah, so I'm Zita. And I'm Mike. And uh, together we're the Grand Salto Theater. And so um, where shall we begin? Our first endeavor into Kingston happened in the summer of 2018, 2018, where we came to uh, the Kingston Storefront Fringe Festival with two of our shows. Yeah, one of our shows was Saratlek, A Hungarian Love Story, um, and the other show was our kids' show, The Philip and Lucinda Dino Show. And we had such a wonderful time in Kingston uh, that when we saw the call for uh, scripts for the shortwave radio, we're like, ooh, chance to work again with people from Kingston, that would be awesome. And also, um, we've had these characters, Philip and Lucinda, um, since they they were developed in 2011, these characters is when they first came about. And we've done a number of shows with them. Um, we have our kids show, the Philip and Lucinda Dino show. Then we have another full length show called the Philip and Lucinda Vaudeville show. And both of these shows are theatrical shows, very physical. Um, Mike and I both have a background in circus and acrobatics and physical theater. We actually met each other at uh, Delarte International School of Physical Theater, um, clowning. So it, we saw the call, we wanted to work more in Kingston. And we also had this idea of kind of what it would be to have these 
kooky characters, Philip and Lucinda do a radio show, do something that was not as visual as um, most of the other work with them were. And so that's kind of what prompted us to um, submit our idea to the Shortwave Festival. Yes. Now, uh, some of our inspiration for Philip and Lucinda was actually the work of uh, the comedian George Burns and his extremely talented wife, Gracie Allen. Uh, as we would drive around Ontario and actually all of Canada, bringing our shows to people, I had downloaded uh, various old radio shows of Burns and Allen, and this is what I would keep me awake as I drove from here to there in the country. And it always had a very ridiculous, humorous style. So I leaned on that pretty heavily when uh, creating the script for this show. Yeah, we're definitely inspired by that kind of old-timey radio radio vibe, the Burns and Allen um, kind of genre. And yeah, it's kind of fun. Like when we look at kind of the history of this kind, um, uh, kind of goes from vaudeville to radio to TV. And there's a little bit of that with Philip and Lucinda, that kind of quirky humor, uh, song, funny puns, uh, these kind of like those kind of tropes that you would find in that kind of world. Uh, so it was a lot of fun playing with that in this project. And it was such a delight to work with Anthony and John. Mm -hmm. uh, we could tell right away that we had found a, a perfect match to be able to take our script and our characters and really bring the most out of them, as you will see when you listen to. Or you will hear when yes, you listen to it. That's true. I mean, and and you'll see because you know I I am I am a little bit spoiled here because I've seen the Philip and Lucinda Dino Show and I've seen your work before, um, but I really think that even if I didn't, one of my favorite things about this piece is I can exactly imagine the the nonsense and the play that you two are up to. Um, and I found it such a joyful exercise. And like I said, I'm kind of spoiled because I know what you look like and I know <laughs> how you move. Um, but I think that's so captured in the piece anyways. And it was such a joy to, to listen to you to play instead of watch and listen to you to play. Yeah, it was a really fun exercise trying to figure out how to bring that, that joy into the audio world so that people can have these visual images of, you know, Philip and Lucinda, gallivanting about on stage, but in the radio format. Oh, and there is plenty of gallivanting. And so much. <laughs> speaking of helping us create this amazing kind of imagination of the world, I'm going to pass it on over to our friend John, who is a sound designer on this piece. Uh, John, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your relationship to this project? Yes. Thank you, Mariah. Um, so I run a studio here in Kingston called Titan Sound, and it's kind of a unique business. Uh, it's not sort of a conventional studio. You know, most studios tend to focus on music and musicians, whereas mine kind of focuses more on business and media and, uh, and that sort of thing. So uh, the main thing that I do is uh, audio branding for businesses. So it's kind of unique to Kingston and just a unique business in general. But uh, 
Whereas a lot of, uh, we, we tend to think of branding kind of um, in, in a visual sense traditionally. So we tend to brand with, uh, you know, we think about things like color and typeface and logo. And I bring a similar approach, but I brand with sound, music, and voice instead. Uh, and there's a number of things that kind of follow that, a lot of technical things like the recording and uh, a lot of voiceover work. Uh, I would do a lot of work with video production companies and film companies and, uh, and podcasting is very big. Uh, I found myself involved in a lot of podcasts these days. So that's, that's been a lot of fun. So I get to work on a lot of fun projects, uh, including this one. This was, uh, uh, my background is actually in radio. I worked, for, I spent about the first 10 years of my career uh, working in radio. Uh, so this has been very uh, familiar territory and a very uh, welcome diversion, I suppose. Uh, it was a lot of fun to work on. I feel like that was kind of the, the magic alchemy of, of this summer is finding things that were like slightly a uh, distraction and also slightly something that you knew how to do and found joy in. <laughs> Yeah, well, and you know, with COVID, I mean, to be perfectly frank, I mean, business is down, you know, as it is for, for most people. So I'm, I'm grateful in retrospect that I had the time to be able to say yes to the project. 100%. And, you know, John, this is really fascinating. Again, one of my favorite things about this festival was this kind of matchmaking process that went down and finding artists like Mike and Zita mentioned, you know, I, I grinned really big here in my living room when you said perfect match. But I think a lot of it was about trying to make these matches together. And John, I love hearing you talk about audio branding. And that's, you know, talk about match. I don't think I would have ever heard that from a traditional sound designer in a theater, but I'm kind of really, it's a really helpful phrase when you think about painting an audio landscape. Yeah, well, and this was all about doing that. Like radio, it sounds kind of silly, but radio uh, and audio in, in general is, is very visual, right? Uh, and we're very visual people. So, I mean, any sort of, even the slightest um, auditory stimulus is going to trigger some sort of emotion or some sort of visual. And uh, in radio, you know, traditionally, we talk about theater of the mind, um, which normally I, I try to steer clear of that professionally because I do a lot of advertising work and I try to kind of steer clear of that because you don't want it to be like a big production. People are usually listening in kind of a passive way. So typically the imagery, I like to use the word imagery in that domain, the imagery tends to come from things like uh, sound effects and performance rather than like these sort of grand descriptions. But in this project, this was great because it really was theater of the mind. We were able to combine not only performance and sound design, but also you're, you are able to sort of take the time to kind of drop those little clues that kind of paint the picture and, and really make the whole presentation a little more three-dimensional. Yes. And Mike, I saw that you had unmuted your microphone. Was there something that you wanted to add? Nope, that was just us uh, accidentally hitting a key on the keyboard. <laughs> uh, classic. This is 2020 in, in its real form. Uh, so this is really great. Nice kind of segue brings me a little bit because John is kind of speaking and so did Anthony about, you know, telling stories and, and finding that old timey vibe of radio and finding a space to resurrect it. So I'm kind of curious, this is, this is the question is to Mike and Zita. Um, you know, when we started doing the application process for this festival, we asked everyone why, why this show, why radio theater? And I think you've kind of touched on it a little bit 
in the beginning, but I'm curious if you could speak a little bit more to, you know, what did radio theater allow you to bring to Philip and Lucinda? Or what did you learn from radio theater in your continued development of these characters? Mike and Zita? Maybe now they're stuck. Oh, there we go. Oh, their microphone's lost. It's back. Mike and Zita, are you still here with us? We are here. Could you repeat the question, please? Definitely, I can. So my question was about, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious about, you know, why radio theater? Why Philip and Lucinda? So what did this process, the radio theater process, bring to the, the characters of Philip and Lucinda? What, what have you learned through this process as you continue to develop the two characters? I think I think we're having to. Um, I'm going to re log in on another device. So this question is for uh, Anthony. I'm I'm curious about you know what what brought you specifically to this project in Kingston. Like I said, you know you've had this long journey of lots of different kinds of radio theater work, and I'm curious about you know when you saw this call, why why did you reach out to us? Oh, you know, I, I, I love Kingston. I, I live here. I work here. And just about everything that we produce, everything that we do um, immediately goes out in the American market or the UK market. Um, and, and, and we're actually, from what I understand, we're, we're like the, the, only, the only company that's actually producing only uh, uh, radio theater, uh, audio, audio plays in Canada right now that are, that are kind of reaching this, this breadth, which, which is wonderful. When I, when I saw this come up, um, I thought, well, okay, it's radio theater. It's what we do. It's 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 right here in Kingston. Um, my initial reach out was, um, you know, hey, what what can we, can, can we help in some way? Is there something that Bleak December can do, um, as far as maybe mentoring or or, or coaching or what have you? Um, and then I, I don't know who it was, but somebody sent me uh, a link to the call for directors, and I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll throw my hat in for that. I I I'd love to direct something, uh, and and do it differently than we're used to doing it here. Um, and because it was Kingston, because it was homegrown, because I think it's such a fantastic initiative, uh, and I hope this becomes a very popular festival. I hope that there's a, uh, I, I hope that shortwave continues in years to come. Um, it, it just seemed like the right, the right, uh, you know, kind of, 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 of melding of, of what we do, of Kingston, the chance to, uh, to help kind of um, just share whatever little bit that I can bring to the table uh, of this this art form that that really I I love so very much because I really do love uh, as John called it the theater of the mind the theater of the imagination I I do love it I think it's incredibly powerful um, because everybody's on an equal playing field right when it comes to 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 film. One of the comments that we always uh, that, that that we're fairly used to at this point, and I think any indie filmmaker out there is very familiar with the term for the resources they had, they did a good job, or for the limitations they had with the money they had, they did a good job, and that's true because when you're working in that visual medium, it's much more diff it's much more costly to achieve uh, the um, the the effect that you're hoping to, in unless you're a brilliant writer, and I'm just a hack. But uh, when it comes to audio, <laughs> when it comes to audio. Um, everybody's on level on a level playing field and really your only limitation is the limitation of your imagination of your mind um, and and that's such an exciting uh, an exciting medium to work in um, so yes. so why, why wouldn't I have been attracted to this 
Yes. Oh, yes. And that kind of playfulness has attracted me too from the beginning. I'd never, I had never made this kind of work before at all, but I think exactly what you're talking about, about, you know, the, the trying something that, you know, in a slightly different way is super appealing. And, you know, I have to say, Anthony, I remember when we were doing auditions and you, you know, you kind of passed by the station and dropped in and you you really did mentor this collective. And I think the, the <laughs> advice that you shared in your work, uh, you know, it's really invaluable to the, to the long life of this festival. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. That's very sweet. I'm glad I could help. So appreciate it. So how about you, John? Like, you know, I know, like you said, you've been, you've been making this kind of work in, well, you've been making work in Kingston as an audio, I wrote it down, audio branding um, <laughs> for, for quite a while. And, and why, why did this project excite you? Well, uh, like I said, my I got my start in radio, and uh, I hadn't done anything like this in a very, very long time. Um, it, it, probably, maybe not even since college. This kind of long form um, radio, you know, play kind of format um, was very appealing to me. Uh, and like I said, I um, fortunately had the the time to actually do it and and put some effort into it. Yeah. Oh, well, we're fortunate too. I feel mm -hmm. very grateful. So Mike and Zita, like flipping it back to you, I, uh, you've joined us back in the call. So happy to have you back and happy to be back. <laughs> we've been talking a little bit about, you know, what about shortwave attracted you? And you spoke to that a little bit when you talked about Kingston, but I'm curious, what did the medium of radio theater allow you to discover about Philip and Lucinda that perhaps you didn't know before? There are things that we can do in the medium of radio that you could never put to stage. There are certain acts which require the audience to imagine and having the ability or having the limitation of not being able to actually see it. So you're going to have to use your imagination allowed us to create scenarios that were even more wild than some that we do. Yeah. Uh, some of the things that happen in the show um, could never happen on stage in such a way. Like they are very much um, things that are, you know, you could imagine to be possible, but they become so much more alive in the world of audio theater and the world of radio. Um, so that was a really fun discovery. And once we discovered it, a really fun writing process and performing process to make these kind of fantastical and weird and bizarre ideas um, come to life in ways that we've never thought were possible. Um, that's been a really fun discovery through this process. Yes, I love that. Like, you know, it's such a, you're totally right. What a fun prompt as a creator of like, write something that's totally impossible. Uh, I'm curious, John, do you have anything to add to this? Yeah, I just, I wanted to say, especially when Anthony was talking earlier, and I'd like to sort of add to Mike and Zita's point, um, the great thing about radio and, and audio-only media in general, you know, whether it's radio or podcasting, audiobooks, uh, there's an intimacy to it that you don't tend to get with other media, like with television or film, for example. There, it, it's a huge production and there are dozens and dozens maybe hundreds of people involved and all working at the same time uh, with audio only media such as radio there's there's a great intimacy because typically uh, especially in radio you have 
a person talking into a microphone, you have a person listening on the other end, and there's really nobody in between, in between that microphone and that speaker or that headset. Um, and what we're doing is just a very slightly expanded version of that. So yeah, there's, there's a great intimacy, um, both for the producer and the consumer of that kind of content. And I think people make that, um, you know, in radio, there's a great relationship between um, between the, again, the sort of purveyor and consumer of that media that you don't tend to get in other media. Yes. And I think about it, even in the context of a, you know, that kind of intimacy in the context of a festival is a really meaningful exploration to me because there's kind of this super intimate peer into a bunch of different worlds that we've created, right? And if you were, you know, Mike and Zita have done some fringes, fringe festivals, and there is a little bit of that kind of like immersion of lots of different worlds thrown at you at once in a fringe, because there's lots of different plays. But I'm really excited for the intimacy of radio theater to make those many different worlds, um, make that exploration feel super intimate. Mm -hmm. And many different worlds and many different interpretations of those yes. same worlds too, depending on the listener and, and just their, how they apply their personality to it. Yes. So this is great. So then I ask Anthony, you know, as a director, a director who works, you know, in this intimate kind of medium, what was it like, you know, working intimately with artists that you've not yet met before, Mike and Zita? And, you know, what kind of um, considerations do you bring to that kind of intimacy uh, in your work as a director? I love, I love artists. I love people who are like-minded. And, and, you know, and, and, I, and I'm going to start by saying I, I, I love listening to John because John's got one of those fantastic voices, definitely a radiophonic voice. And every time he speaks, I expect it to, to eventually uh, fade into a traffic report. It's, it's, it's incredible. I love listening to him. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and, and voices are great. I, I, you know, I, I love people with wonderful voices. I love theatrical people. Um, I think you and I were recently talking about this, Maria, how I said, you know, theater people are my favorite people. Uh, because they're um, because you know they're they're so full of life and, and you know sometimes they'll they'll take that hit to pride and dignity you know for for the bemusement of everybody else and that and and and, and I think I think you know uh, as 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 entertainers uh, as clowns and, and, and children entertainers as uh, as Mike and Zeta are they they get that too you know there's this wonderful energy that you get from performance um, and that energy. Uh, we have to release it as um, as 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 entertainers as as performers. We have to release it; otherwise, it sits uh, uh, within us and it just builds up. And it's you know it's 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 like a a blast furnace by the time you're ready to release it. And that's and again that's why I love I love working with with artists who are excited uh, about what they're doing. And and certainly that energy, that enthusiasm, that fire was was in the script um, that. Uh, that, that I was originally shown, and it wasn't it wasn't even a finished script. It was uh, it was a work in progress. But <clears throat> I could see there um, in, in in those pages that okay, the, the concept is great. They get it. They know. Uh, first of all, they they know their characters because they've been playing these characters for so long, and that's evident in the writing. But they totally got the concept. Um, and I, I there, there there wasn't a lot of input actually on this end. It, it wasn't necessary. Um, you, you know, sometimes you can get a script and you have to tear it apart and uh you know remind people okay we're working in in in, in the audio medium so you can't do those tremendous long you know uh 
uh, descriptive uh, versus otherwise people can see right through the veil. You have to find subtle ways of, uh, of telling your story without saying, you know, we know it's an audio drama. And, and that script worked that way. It worked that way. And that, and that was something that was very attractive uh, to me. Um, and, and, and that's why I, I, I love working with people and getting the chance to, to interact with people like John and like yourself, Mariah, and like Mike and Zita, because um, artists are just wonderful people. There's a lot of bad artists too, but, but, but that, that's okay. They're not here. There's a lot of wonderful artists as well. There's more wonderful artists than there are negative artists. And, uh, um, and, and, and I think that your listeners are blessed because you're getting something that's just filled with passion, filled with passion. And uh, our only want is to entertain you and, and have you chuckling. Oh, that's nice. And yes, everybody that is uh, listening to the show is also a wonderful artist. So if you're consuming a radio theater festival, you're in the right, you're in the right crowd. So then I, I throw this kind of same, same, but different question at Mike and Zita then, because I'm curious what, what happens when we miss, when we mix, sorry, clowns and intimacy? What happens when we mix these zany, huge personalities that are so playful and so animated? And what happens then when it's just filtered through one tiny microphone? What was that process like? So the secret about clown is that- You're gonna give us the secret? You're gonna secret about Wait, okay. Mike, you know the secret about clown? No, no, no. The <laughs> secret about clown is every time you figure out clown, uh, something comes around and completely shatters your illusion that you know anything about clown. But a secret about clown <laughs> is that the best clowns, their job is to make connections with the audience. You can't get someone to laugh just by being zany. You have to get into uh, the minds and hearts of your audience uh, to evoke any sort of emotion from them. So to that end, given the intimacy of radio, it's a, a tremendous gift to already have such a close connection and be in the ears of our future listeners. And I think there's also, in addition to that kind of um, connection to the audience, because there's also the reality that we don't know who the audience will be. Like we know, we'll know some people who will listen to this, but a lot of the people that will be listening in are people we've never met. We don't actually know who, who will be listening. And so there's a certain element of finding that joy and intimacy within the script within ourselves as well. Um, you know, really having fun with the material and really uh, caring for it in the way that we also care for the audience. Um, I feel like that's a really important part in our delivery of it, uh, that kind of joy within the script that we have, that we have within writing it and performing it and sharing, for, sharing it with an audience. Oh, yes, Zita. And I, I so think that this is one of your strengths, both of your strengths as artists is, you know, like I said, I had seen your work before in the past and you're totally right. It's not just banana town, playful, silly, like stupid, crazy, you know, like that kind of energy. It is a lot of, um, it's the reason that makes good kids theater is that children's theater, you know, the, the, you can't just lecture at children or perform at children. They're not going to have any fun. But I think this kind of throwing of the line connection that you both do in your clown is present in the traditional theater that you do and in this theater. Um, 
So uh, that's very helpful. And I'm very glad I know now one of the secrets of clowns. So just uh, our, our director, Anthony Mann, is just going to uh, leave this call, but I just wanted to give him a, a chance to say goodbye. And if there's any other, any other, anything else you wanted to mention, Anthony? I, I just wanted to say, uh, I wanted to reiterate that it was such a pleasure uh, to work with Mike and Zita, who I think are just two lovely people. And I look forward to actually meeting you in person once, uh, once the, uh, the apocalypse is over and the horsemen leave town. Uh, again, John, working with John Sen, uh, Sen uh, Filippo, I mean, he, he's, he, he's, he, again, he's another guy who gets it. He gets the, the concept. He gets the, um, the era that we were trying to recreate. And, and his work was wonderful. Um, when you work with another engineer, especially when you're very hands-on, you're so afraid. Of, uh, you, you're worried that you're going to be going back and forth with notes forever. But no, John was fantastic. And um, you know, I, I, I was really impressed with, uh, with how fast he worked, too, which is great. And, and most importantly, you know, congratulations to to the shortwave uh, radio theater festival. It's great that this is taking place. It's great that it's happening right here in Kingston and can be enjoyed beyond the, the borders of Kingston. And I really hope that people listen, that they tune in, that they realize how viable radio and audio theater, the spoken word is as an art and celebrate it and support it. And hopefully we can all be back here chatting about this in future, uh, future uh, installments of the festival. Well, thank you, Anthony. Thanks so much for joining us. Cheers. So, but as Anthony does, a great segue to the next question, which is, you know, he, he mentioned viability, the viability. And I'm curious, you know, Mike and Zita, you both talked about connection. And I'm, I, I, I'm wondering if you'd be open to talking about your experience as an artist this summer about, you know, what was it like? All the modes of traditional connection for, for artists have been disrupted. And did the viability of this project serve to make space for a kind of connection? Yeah, I think it did. Um, we were joking at the beginning of all of this that, you know, while a lot of our other gigs and projects kind of were canceled or postponed, we're like, well, we have this radio play that we were commissioned to write uh, from before the pandemic. Yeah. And so it was really nice that we had one project kind of as this, like, um, Beacon of Beacon hope, of hope um, that we could really hold on to, uh, particularly in March when things were starting to get canceled and everything. Um, and I think we learned a lot from from doing, like we already talked a bit about how you know transferring our skills to radio, but then just kind of in general, um, this idea of pivoting or adapting and learning new things, and this festival kind of was perfectly positioned to really usher us into that space. Um, so that was a really kind of serendipitous uh, coincidence with, with the shortwave festival. Yeah, I have, I'm from the United States and I've got family from coast to coast. They're all over. And I don't know if you've uh, watched friends or families uh, video recordings of shows that might be amazing live they don't translate particularly well to film unless they're made to be filmed. Uh, so having uh, a challenge like create a show for radio means that anybody can listen to it anywhere, which means for the first time, perhaps in my entire professional life, I've got uh, material that I can send out and say, hey, everybody, check this out, and they will get something as good as if they were sitting in the seats watching a show. 
Oh, Mike, and you have such a great, you know, speaking of great voices, you speak always with such intentionality. I get goosebumps every time. Um, but that is amazing. It's one of my favorite things about this festival too, is, you know, the fact that you could make it and consume it in a really accessible way, right? Like this, the CFRC as a radio station goes so many places. You can listen to it, like you said, around the world. Um, lots of uh, folks that are incarcerated listen to CFRC. It really feels like it, it has huge kind of arms and a big, a big reach that is, that is really exciting. So I'm glad that you found it. I'm glad you found it exciting as well. So then I'm curious, you know, what did pivoting or, or what did this summer look like for you, John? Was there a, a moment of pivoting? Did you feel kind of the whole community start calling you uh, to help them with stuff that you'd been doing already anyways? What did this summer of pivoting look like for you? Well, it's been a, a continuous pivot, I guess. Um, and, and the summer, I, ever since, I guess, March, uh, you know, like I said, business has been slow and not completely. I mean, it's, it's it never came to a, like a halt, but maybe down to like, I don't know, I'll just say 50%. Uh, so, you know, you've got this, this extra time and, and the time has been great because I've been able to uh, do a lot of things that I, I wouldn't have had the time to do otherwise. And, and even just kind of, kind of catching up with myself. Like when you are busy uh, and you're consistently busy, I'd say like I started my studio in uh, 2012 and, you know, it takes a few years, but eventually you build that momentum to the point where you're, you know, you're consistently busy and people are coming to you and, and that's a great position to be. And then of course COVID hit and kind of derailed some of that. But the great thing is when you are busy, um, you, you sort of worry like, you're just trying to get to the end of the day a lot of the time, right? You're just trying to get projects finished. And, and you, in the back of your mind, you're kind of thinking, is, is there something else I'm supposed to be doing right now? Like I worry that I'm supposed to be um, preparing something or, or learning something new and you don't have time for that. So in the last, I don't know how many, like the six months, how long has it been? It seems like forever, but, um, but in the last several months, yeah, I have been able to adapt and to sort of refocus and shift a lot of things. Um, and you know, and there's been a lot of great stuff that's kind of come along the way like this. Um, I'm kind of rambling now. I don't remember what the original question was. <laughs> no, no, that was great. And I feel the same way. I'm like, what is this week, week number 9,452 of being in my house or? Yeah, what? well, you know, it's, it's been a really interesting journey and I, this may be slightly off topic, but, um, you know, as a business person, you're in a very strange position when work when something like this happens and work does slow down and uh you know and for a lot of people and a lot of industries work just went right down to zero and i've been saying from the start there's a few ways you can look at zero you can look at it as the bottom or you can look at it as a new beginning and that's sort of the way i've been trying to look at my own pursuits and encouraging other people to look at it in a similar way it's like, are you really at the bottom or is this a chance to kind of make a fresh start? Yes, totally. And, you know, I really, I really hate to, to call this pandemic an opportunity because it's not, because there's been immense suffering around the world. Um, but I think like you, that this, this moment of disruption has really shed some light on things that have always been true. Yeah, I, I think that we, um, and it's, it's, 
it's funny the way we talk about 2020, um, especially as a year, assuming, you know, we talk about it like, you know, New Year's, everything's going to go back to normal, which of course it won't. But, uh, you know, it's, it's been a very strange year. And I think, you know, first for, you have to remind yourself that there are a lot of people that, you know, a lot of people are in, in a w- much worse position than you. And there are a lot of us for whom this has been really just an inconvenience. Uh, for a lot of us, it's just been a lot of setbacks. But I mean, for a lot of people, you know, people are sick, people are dying, people, there are a lot of people who are having really hard times. And some of us, you know, are just, are frankly, just inconvenienced. So I think if you are in that position, I think, you know, you almost have a responsibility to just try to make the best of it and, and see what you can do with it. I'm curious then, Mike and Zita, you know, I think that we've had some conversations maybe in passing about the future of our sector as artists. And I know, you know, we're both folks who write a lot of grants. I'm curious about, as an art sector, what has this moment, um, the pandemic, shown you that we need to do to better take care of our art sector? You know, some examples I think of are you know, more sustainable, long, long-standing grants for independent artists like yourself who self-produce, things that aren't always tied to projects. I'm curious if, if this moment has, you know, illuminated any things that you think we should address in the, in the theater sector. Yeah, I think a little bit of what you said, like the long-standing project grants would be amazing. Um, something that we um, are kind of coming face-to-face with all the time as uh, creators and also as parents is um, how to create with a one-year-old <laughs> running around, uh, particularly, um, you know, certain things like when the pandemic first hit, there was a lot of like live streaming and we were invited to be parts of a couple like different live stream cabarets, which were impossible to do because um, of the unpredictable, unpredictable nature of a baby toddler. Um, so it, it's kind of kind of exacerbated um, some of the um, resources and needs of artist families to create work in this kind of time is something that I've really noticed. Um, and I think, yeah, Mike? Um, artists have really, a lot of theater artists I've noticed have really had to dig into broadcasting, into very quickly learning how to make a good video, how to get uh, a decent sound out of their house, and how to apply their theatrical skills to uh, a more of a broadcast medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, the and then there's also, you know, there's also something said about work that's just never going to fit in to a broadcast medium. Yeah. Um, I had the for- like I had the good fortune uh, of a show that I was directing this summer. Um, that was a circus-based show that was happening in a park and uh, we're based in Toronto and the time when the show was happening we were at a stage when we could have a short small audience in the park and it happened and we had it happen outside and that show just would never have worked in a streaming or audio or video format Um, so there is kind of that reality there are projects that um, don't work in this don't work to transfer into into a, a into a digital format. Um, but the ones that do, I think there's also, you know, in terms of our sector, you know, the ability to train and how to use microphones and lights and stuff like that. And also um, kind of for us, something that we've always been interested in, particularly since a lot of our work has been touring. We've toured the Fringe Circuit, 
uh, multiple times to the West Coast. We've done some work um, in the States and abroad. Um, is kind of finding a way to kind of connect with our audiences when we're not there. Uh, and I think this pandemic and uh, kind of finding the relying more on digital means is giving us an opportunity to kind of see how can we find that connection uh, year long, season long, pandemic long um, with audiences when we're not, when we're definitely not going to be physically in their neighborhoods. So how to kind of uh, have those conversations with audiences and um, resources to help that project would also be awesome. So that's kind of yeah, some thoughts on, on that question. And it's a big question. I appreciate yeah, you. Totally. I'm like crowdsourcing a, a document that I can go knock on city councilors' doors with or something by doing these interviews. Because it's important. I think another one of the reasons I wanted to have these conversations with artists like yourself and John and other artists that I'm interviewing is because, like John said, like this is a real moment that has forced us to think about all the something else, something else's of our lives. And I think that um, the art sector certainly has some, a, a real reckoning to, to deal with when it comes to the sec something else's. Definitely. And I think like, you know, I, um, today on, uh, on social media, there was a lot of buzz about an, uh, an ad, I think that was put out by the UK government. I don't know if you saw this, Mariah. No, I haven't. Um, it's, a, it's an ad um, where there's a picture of a ballerina and it says, you know, this ballerina could be training for a new a new job in cybersecurity or so I'm, I'm very badly paraphrasing it, but it was an ad that was basically saying, oh, artists, uh, there's no more work for you. Train in this other industry, uh, leave your dream, leave your career, leave your whatever. Um, and the, it's gotten a lot of backlash because it was a pretty tasteless ad. Um, but it's also shown that, you know, there, that, um, you know, arts are important and people should, feel supported to continue with what they've been training for, what they're passionate about, um, and that, um, that that is also important to continue this kind of journey. Um, yes. That's something that I've been, particularly after seeing this ad and the responses to it, um, have been feeling pretty strongly about that, you know, the response, I mean, it also depends on people's situation and everything like that, but, you know, the response um, shouldn't be to give up, uh, the response should be, okay. How are you able to train and deepen your art? Or how are you able to adapt or how are you able to sink in deeper to what you're already convinced about? Um, maybe, maybe the response is how are you able to? Um, and uh, that's something that I think about a lot, um, you know, in, the, in, the, in this industry as, as this pandemic and this moment in time keeps moving forward. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that you bring up, Zita, is that you and Mike being artists in this touring moment already know how to do a lot of fast adaptation, right? Like you two know how to put up and take down a set in less than six minutes. So one of the things that I'm so curious about is like, how can we learn from the independent artists who have already been forced to learn new skills really fast with no money? Um, how do we listen to independent artists who already have a lot of practice in constantly pivoting? Because um, I think artists like yourselves really can, really could teach, teach the sector a lot. I'm curious, John, do you have anything to add? Uh, Zita, I'm glad I didn't see that ad because I'm sure I would have been put into a rage that it, it sounds like certain other people were as well. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, this is, this is such a strange time. And, and we talk about adapting and, you know, we like to use the word pivoting. Um, and, and Zita, you, you alluded to this a moment ago, uh, people having to sort of adapt their skills. And, and some of them, you know, I'm sure are finding new skills because necessity is, is the mother of invention. You know, a lot of us are sort of finding ourselves in a position where what we would normally do day to day uh, is not really, I don't want to say not important, but I mean, the work that you do is there to solve a problem. And if that problem doesn't currently exist, then you need to find another angle. And often you can use your existing skills. And I see a lot of this, and I'm really grateful to see a lot of this. You see people taking their existing skills and applying them to other things, uh, which is great to see. But as for the importance of, of art, uh, I, I get very frustrated when I see messages like that because you know, people, there's that old cliche of, you know, you, you want your kids to be a doctor or a lawyer or, or that sort of thing. And, you know, th those things are important too, but we can't all be doctors and lawyers, quite frankly. No, and, and imagine how bleak this, this pandemic would have been if we didn't have Netflix. Yeah, well, if we didn't have art and entertainment, like, I mean, uh, you know, the, the doctors keep us alive. Art makes life worth living. Oh, that's beautiful, John. That's Thank a you. great that's a great way to So just before we wrap up, um, before I'm going to try to see if I can get two other characters to join this call. But just before we do that, I want to hear from all three of you, John, Mike, and Zita. This is shameless plug time. We'll start with John. Is there anything coming down the pipes that you think listeners of Shortwave Theatre Festival would be interested in for you? Oh, boy. Putting me on the spot. I didn't have time to prepare for this. Uh, I don't know. Um, like something I'm working on currently that would sort of relate to this? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving it really open. So something you're working on or even just like, what are you kind of thinking about a lot these days? Anything, anything like that? Oh boy. You know, I'm going to think of something great as soon as this is over. Uh, <laughs> I know but uh, no, you know, I, I've been able to, like I said, there's been some extra time and yeah, I, I can't think of really anything specific at this moment, but I, I have had, some time and it's been great to have that space to focus on lots of other things because I'm also a musician and I write uh, and I've been able to focus on those things. So I'm not sure there's something kind of specific I can point you to right now, but, uh, but no, for me, it's um, like I said, I'm very lucky. Uh, you know, I, I try to remind myself that, you know, um, there are people who are, you know, having a really hard time right now, but um, I've been very fortunate that, you know, I, there is still work coming in, not as much as before, but uh, I have had some time to to refocus and uh, and to adapt uh, and and to put some time and effort into some of those projects that I wouldn't have had time to otherwise. So uh, I'm not sure. That's I, perfect. I, it's, all, it's all a little vague, but yeah, I'm sure there's something coming down the down the line later. But uh, something specific, I'm I'm not sure at the moment. But uh, but no, a lot, lot of time to. To, to work on stuff, yeah. It's okay, remember now you're, you're surrounded again by the dramatic folks, you're leaving us on the edge of our seats. It's a cliffhanger, it's great dramaturgy. <laughs> Zeta Mike, what about you folks? What, what's exciting you, Any, anything you know, coming down the pipes that you're excited about? Yeah, well, um, everyone should follow us on Facebook at the Grand Salto Theater and on 
Instagram at the Grand Salto. And uh, there you will find out about a couple things that we have going on. Um, the big one that should be coming out in a couple weeks is we are working uh, this time in the realm of video uh, with a series of short uh, films kind of geared for the preschool audience, but not exclusively for the preschool audience, uh, with two different clowns we have, Bebo and Bop. And it's Bebo and Bop at home, so what these two clowns have been getting up to uh, in quarantine. And they're really adorable, sweet little videos that should be um, dropping in the next couple of weeks, so keeping an eye out for that. And I think we've also been really inspired by shortwave and by audio. We have a bunch of ideas of yet to be recorded, yet to be written uh, content that um, hopefully before the year's out, uh, we'll get some of those, uh, maybe some new material with Philip and Lucinda, I'm sure they, I know for sure they're eager to be back on a microphone. I, I think that might happen sooner than later. Um, and some other uh, funny, funny podcast ideas. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we have a one-year-old and we've been joking about doing a, a book review series on his uh, children's books that we read a hundred times to him a day. Uh, oh so, my God, that would be fantastic. Uh, so there, there's, there's some, some, some fun projects uh, on the horizon, but the Bebo and Bop at home uh, and just following us on our social media channels will kind of let people know what we're up to. Um, yeah. I love it. I love it. So John, last moment, anything did you think of while, while Zito was talking? Yeah, you could probably even just replace if you're willing to edit, replace uh, what I said before with this, but uh, no, I did think of something. Um, in, uh, in light of recent world events, uh, of which we're, we're all aware, um, I started a podcast a few months ago uh, with this uh, local performer. Um, maybe you know him. His name is Cassell Miles. Uh, I met him about a year ago. Uh, I produced an audio book with him because he was doing this one-man show at the Grand uh, about the life of Josiah Henson. And Josiah Henson, for those who don't know, was a slave in the U.S., in, in the southern U.S., who eventually escaped to Canada. So Cassell approached me about producing this audiobook, which we did, and then he did the, uh, the audiobook was about the autobiography of Josiah Henson. And, uh, you know, we both sort of had time on our hands during you know, quarantine, and we looked at the audiobook and said, there needs to be more of this. So we started this podcast where we're kind of, uh, you know, he's, he's a black man, I'm a white man, and we've been sort of unpacking all these, uh, these, issues of, of race in the media. So the uh, podcast is called Finding Josiah. And it's kind of an ongoing thing. We've got a, maybe about a dozen episodes in the can right now. And you can find it on any streaming platform where you find podcasts. Um, and that's been a great project. And again, it's something that probably wouldn't have happened or wouldn't have time for um, in quote unquote normal times. So it's it's been a great um, sort of uh, more meaningful diversion, I guess, and, uh, and hopefully uh, useful to, to other people as well. Yeah, that's great. That's a great piece. I, I, I didn't know that you were making a podcast with Cassell. The, the show that Cassell did was really remarkable. So I'll yeah, do you know Cassell? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great actor, yes. great artist. And of course, right now he's doing a show uh, called The Meeting, uh, where he plays Martin Luther King. And it's the meeting between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Yes. 
So that brings us to the end of our time today. I did get a text message uh, during this interview saying that uh, Philip and Lucinda were trying to join the join the Zoom call. So I'm just going to check in my waiting room and see if they're in here just to wrap us up. Let's just see. Oh, hello, hello. Oh, Mariah, is that you? Oh, it oh, is. I think we're live. <laughs> I mean, we're always live, dear. Yes, but... of course. Hello. Hi, I'm Philip. And I'm Lucinda. And together we are Philip, Philip and Lucinda. Lucinda. Featuring Lucinda and Philip. Oh, hello, you two. I'm so glad to talk to you today. How's it going? Thanks for popping in. Oh, thank you so much for having us. You know, our manager, Zita and Mike, told us that we, got, we were going to get the chance to talk to you and we're so very excited. Yes, we've never been on the radio before. Not yet. Not yet. On November 1st, we will. Oh, oh no. no. That's it. So, you know, you got a few minutes, Philip and Lucinda. You, do you two have any kind of exceptional advice for us to get through 2020? Anything that you two have learned through your adventures this summer? Mm. So, Lucinda, how would you describe 2020? Well, Philip, you know, I think I would say 2020 is somewhat of a, of a blend between Carol Baskin, Baskin and Robbins, and Robinson Crusoe. Yes, these are troubled times. Mm, yes. You know, I think we live in times where champagne wishes and caviar dreams have been replaced by sufficient toilet paper and avocado toast. Yes, we live in times where to Zoom is no longer the sound of a race car the platform on which we use to record this very interview. Mm. You know, Mariah, we live in times where when we wrote this initial we live in troubled times scene for the 2016 Philip and Lucinda vaudeville show, we had jokes about pandemics and reality TV stars in power. <laughs> oh. 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 Um, you know, yes, we live in times where the... the by the time this interview is out, all our references will be obsolete, only to be replaced by new horrors and circumstances that we have yet to begin to imagine. Like TikTok dances for the over 30 set. You know, we live in times where the line between reality and satire no longer exists. That's why in times like these, I yearn for the simple things in life. Mm, a rustic home. Made sourdough loaf. Snuggled in a warm, self-knitted blanket. Oh, a cup of hot cocoa in my hand. Turning on my transistor radio. And listening in to the, the Philip and Lucinda radio show. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Philip and Lucinda, for joining me for this conversation. I'm glad your agents, Mike and Zita, could get through to you. And uh, if you want to hear a little bit more about the times that we live in, tune into the Philip and Lucinda radio show on CFRC and Cellar Door Project's Shortwave Theater Festival. Thank you so much, Philip and Lucinda. Thank you so much. We love being here and we can't wait to hear the whole festival. Yes, oh, I've heard they've got all kinds of exciting shows. Yes, very exciting. Mm -hmm. 